You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. I want you to uh, participate. Any sports fans here today? Uh, got a few? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Now listen, just raise your hand. Try not to answer out loud. Let's see if we can get one person to get this right. So I'll just, I'll hone in on one person. I'm going to ask you, who am I imitating? All right. I'm not saying it's going to be good, but I kind of think, I kind of think that maybe we can, we can get this. All right. If we've got some sports fans in the building, you ready? I'm going to start with this. Here it is. Introduction of my message, laying a little foundation. All right. Are you ready? Raise your hand if you know it. I'm the greatest of all time. Oh, I didn't point at anybody yet. See, see, uh, they cheating students around here. All right. All right, Scott, who is that? Muhammad Ali. All right. Good job. No, I'm just having fun. Muhammad Ali. You know, growing up years ago, I was a little kid when he was, uh, you know, when he first kind of started becoming uh, uh, a name in that particular world of boxing. And I used to watch him say that all the time. I mean, all the time. He would say these words, I am the greatest of all time. I want to say this about that this morning. That is a very insane thing to say about yourself. That you're the greatest of all time. And yet, we seem to be somewhat enamored with that particular line, if you will. It seems to be a new phenomenon where everybody wants to talk about or thinks they're the greatest. For instance, we talk about the goat, right? Now, my wife, when we started talking about this in the message around the table, she said, why are y'all talking about an animal? And we said, no, honey, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. She is so spiritually minded, she's no earthly good. She can't, you know, everything to her is, you know, and my kids know what I'm talking about when I say that, all right? Um, sometimes this thing just gets on my nerves. It's rare, but I can't seem to get it to, to cooperate. So please forgive me, all right? I may do this a lot, this sermon, but I like this thing so much, but it's just not wrapping around my ear. Like I wanted to, all right? This is not the greatest of all time, for sure. Um, in football, you know, <clears throat> uh, it's probably not an argument anymore, right? But we like to, like to put that tagline next to Tom Brady. He's the greatest of all time. Or the argument between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Who is the greatest of all time? Or whether or not Barry Bonds, because he took steroids, really is the greatest of all time. Here's my point. We use that word great for so many things that I, bec- I believe we become so easy and so free with that word great that when like in Psalm chapter 145 verse 3, it says great, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. We're not talking about Ali there. We're not talking about Brady or Jordan or LeBron or anybody else. We are talking about the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, here's my goal over the next few moments to reclaim that phrase, the greatest of all time. I'm going to reclaim it this morning for this church. I propose to you that the greatest of all time is the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, truly great. God forgive us as as Christians 
as Americans for being so easily impressed by so many things and people who are not really all that great. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. And as you're turning to Hebrews 1, our text this morning, I want to let you know kind of how this sermon came about. You might be wondering, is this a series? It is, because I'm going to take the message I preached two weeks ago on God the Father. Remember that? We talked about the holiness of God from Isaiah chapter 6. And we emphasized it, and we, we, we talked about what in that text was the victory verse. We had a great time with that. So two weeks ago, God the Father... Today, God the Son, next Sunday, should you come, we'll be talking about God the Holy Spirit. So I'm taking two weeks ago the message, taking the next two weeks, and we're going to talk about the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Church, if we don't have the greatness of Jesus Christ right, we don't have a church. I'm convinced of that. I I, I don't know that I knew what what that statement would have meant several years ago, but as as I mature in my ministry and in my preaching, I understand that if we don't have as our central theme, as our consuming passion, as our highest priority, the greatness of Jesus Christ, we don't have a church. If it's not in every sermon, if it's not in every song, if it's not in every small group, our church is going to be in decline. This has to be what we're all about. This has to be what every elder is all about. This has to be what the deacons are all about. This has to be what every member is all about, what all the staff is all about. This, my friends, has to be. It has to be. It's non-negotiable at this point in my ministry and what I'm learning from Scripture All of us, you, me, we have to get this right. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Yesterday, I was uh, in a a retirement center doing a uh, service, and one of the ladies in the service was all upset about the security of the believer, and she met somebody else in the retirement center that didn't believe, and once saved, always saved, and she was so fired up about it. She was, oh, it was incredible, and she was really after it, and and finally, Sonia, who does the service with me, said, Preacher, uh, would you like to help me with this? You know, because it was kind of just a crazy moment. And I looked at this precious lady who is a great attender of that little church we have over there. And I said, ma'am, I said, you know what? We may at times differ on little issues. And we may fall on both sides of a particular doctrine. But can I tell you one thing that doesn't change? And one thing that even the security of the believer doesn't change? And that is this. You're saved by faith through Jesus Christ. And the truth of the matter is, is Jesus Christ is what it's all about. And we may differ on certain little subjects. The Nazarenes may feel this way. The Baptists may feel this way. But can I tell you something? I know the Nazarenes and the Baptists both believe that Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time. They both believe that. And so what I'm saying is we can argue about all these ancillary issues. We can sit across coffee tables and waste a bunch of money we should be giving to the capital campaign, arguing about Arminianism or or Calvinism or all this other stuff that we argue about, spend a bunch of money on and debate and waste all kinds of time. While honestly, the message of Jesus is placed somewhere on the bottom shelf. And we place our ideology, our thoughts, what we think is important. We have all of our goat questions about who's the greatest of all time when the reality is the answer is already in the book. It's Jesus. And we're going to talk about that for just a few moments. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 and beginning in verse 1. If you have at the top of that in your Bible, there's probably a little heading. I don't know what yours says. Mine says the supremacy. I like it. The supremacy 
of God's Son. The greatness of God's Son. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He, God, appointed the heir of all things, Jesus. Through whom also Jesus created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. He, Jesus, is the exact imprint of God's nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand. Of the majesty on high. Wow. I want to take that passage. Break it down for the next few moments. Spend some time talking about reasons from this passage. Why we are saying this morning. Why why we are reclaiming the phrase. That Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time. And I'm going to begin with this. Number one. He is the greatest because he gave. Jesus gave the greatest proclamation. The greatest proclamation, Jesus speaks. He speaks. He speaks. He's still speaking today. Look at verse 1 of our text. It says, long ago, at many times, do you see it? In many ways, say it with me, church, what? Nobody's looking at the Bible. Okay, let me do it again. Everybody look. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. God spoke. I want to talk to you just for a few moments about how God speaks. How dark would the darkness be if God had never spoken? Think about it. If God would have just stood there in, 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 in creation, in the universe, and just stood there in silence and never said a word, aren't you thankful today that God did open his mouth and God did spoke and when he spoke and made a proclamation everything changed and God did this many times notice it says in our text it says long ago at many times from the garden of Eden beginning with the garden of Eden God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden many times God spoke in scripture in the book of Genesis to Cain and Abel God spoke in scripture to uh, uh, those that were outside of the Garden of Eden. After the fall of man, he spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Gideon and Samuel and Ruth. And he spoke to Esther. He spoke to Job. He spoke to David and Solomon. And the stories of the Bible are the stories of God speaking at many times. Then notice this. It says not only did he speak many times, but he spoke in what? In many ways. God speaks in many different ways. He spoke directly to that little boy, Samuel. Remember that story when Samuel kept saying to Eli, Eli, is that you? Eli, is that you talking? Hey, Eli, is that you? And finally, Eli said, Samuel, if you hear that again, just say this. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. He spoke to Daniel in a vision. He spoke to Joseph in a dream. He sent angels to speak to Jacob. God speaks to many people in many ways, but Hebrews lays out the typical way that God speaks. It says he speaks typically through a human messenger. 
Notice it says here in verse number one, again in your text, it says long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Although I've listed many supernatural ways that God speaks, this reference uh, speaks to the fact that God uses people. He speaks through messengers. He speaks through prophets, his appointed messengers. In the Old Testament, it was the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. It was the 11 minor prophets, Dan, uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and the last one, Malachi. All Old Testament prophets, major prophets, minor prophets. And this morning, I get the great, awesome privilege of being a human messenger of God's Word. I am standing before you today. How incredibly remarkable is it that we are holding in our hands the wonderful words of life. As a young lad sitting in a Baptist church and opening my hymnal, remembering that song, Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty sing or see. Wonderful words of life. Words of light, of faith and beauty. Teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. God spoke. God wrote a book. This is huge, church. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. If you're letting this kind of go over your head, if you're missing the fact that what is Erica Pacey so passionate about? Why is he so excited every Sunday to get up and open a book and preach? It's because it's God's words. This is amazing. And maybe it looks like I haven't gotten over that yet. And we shouldn't get over the fact that God spoke and we get to feed on his word. We get to be nourished by his words. Listen, I'm more hungry for this than I am for lunch. Are you? Are you? Wonderful words of life. Then notice it says in that same text, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in those last days. I'm always, I've always been somewhat disturbed by how to approach preaching about the last days. Reason being is I've been preaching for 26 years here, and I've I preached about 10 years before that. So 36 years in all, I've been preaching these wonderful words of life. And for all 36 years, I've been telling everybody that listens to me, we're in the last days. And I wonder how many of us really... Understand that I, I, I'm beginning to understand maybe what it means to preach in these last days. It's like, ladies, it's like when you're wanting to leave the house and you say, let's go. And then your husband says, oh, honey, wait a minute. It's the last quarter. It's almost over. Now that's, you're not leaving anytime soon. I've got actually a video of we're doing something and Carol Ann is saying, let's, let's do this. And it's still on my phone. It's a video on my phone. And Zoe says, no, 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 we can't. Wait, wait, wait. It, it, the game, the game, the game's still on. It's almost over though. I got it on my video. It's, it's a funny video exchange of what I'm talking to you about and how I'm understanding what it means to preach in the last days. So when you come to the last quarter, would everybody agree with me that's a sports fan that the last five minutes of the game are the longest? That's when everybody calls timeouts. That's when everybody's fouling. 
that's when they're going to review the play to see if it, if he really did touch him or not, right? And sometimes the last five minutes of a game, it seems like it lasts as long as the whole game lasted up to that point. Last doesn't mean short. Last means final. These are the final days of human history. Think about it. There was the creation. There was the fall, the covenant. There was the law, and now we're living in this day of grace, the very last and final days. God doesn't have another plague. There's not another message coming. There are no more messengers coming. We are living in the last days. And so the scripture says here, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, the greatest of all time. No, no, no. Sorry, Mr. Ali. You see, the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the human horizon of this world is God's Son, Jesus Christ. Everything that God the Father wants to say, He has said, and He is saying it in and through Jesus Christ. Let me me throw some references out to you for just a moment. Let me see if you can understand what I'm talking about. I want to challenge you with... How familiar are you with the words of Jesus? You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid, honestly, that churches all across America, including the one located at 600 Garland Street, are guilty, including me, of things being so familiar. Sing them over again, 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 again. It's like a broken record. Sing them over again and again to me. The wonderful words of life. But we don't really mean it. Because, you know, these, 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 these things don't move us anymore. Let me ask you a question. Let me start with something that may shock you. Does anybody know? Don't answer out loud. Just answer in your heart. Think about it for a moment. Give me 60 seconds. Does anybody know John 3.16? It's on the screen. It says that God so loved the world. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, Here's the problem. Take it off the screen for just a minute. If I were to ask someone to come up and quote that verse, it would take me a while. It would take 30 seconds, maybe a minute for somebody finally to say, I think I know it. But I'm afraid to get up there and quote it. What if I get something wrong? I'm not saying there wouldn't be a few people. I'm just trying to get you to think with me for just a minute how we have potentially taken the words of life for granted. Back to the verse. Everybody knows John 3, 16. Do we really? Do we really know that God gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life? How dark would this world be without the hope of eternity and heaven because of what Jesus Christ did for us? How dark would this world be? And yet to think that all you would have to do is repent of your sins and turn and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to receive what he calls eternal life. Is this what you believe? Is it really something that ministers to you? Or is it just again and again and again and again? And what about this one? Do you know John 11, 25 and 26? It says, I am the resurrection and the life. Easter's coming. Is that a big deal? I mean, is that something you really are? I mean, 
are you thinking about inviting someone? Because it's like the biggest deal. It's like why we're here today. It's like why we preach Jesus. It's why we preach heaven because of the resurrection. Is it move you at all to pick up a phone, throw a text out there, shoot an email? Or was that just like, boop? Think about it. God spoke. God spoke. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he did, though he's, uh, uh, he died, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And I love the way he ends this passage. You believe it? You see, the problem is most of us would say, yeah, I believe that. But then Jesus says, no, 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 no. Do you really believe it? Because if you really believed it, something would be different. Think about it. God spoke. God spoke. What about John 14, verses 1 through 3 and verse number 6 that say, Let not your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man, no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that? One narrow road. One. It's not like, you know, well, as long as they believe, you know, in, in what they believe in. No, 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 no. Sorry, that, that's not how it works. You don't believe this. Listen to God speak. God says you come through Jesus or you don't come. Everybody okay with that? A couple of you? Good. I'm glad we're thinking about this. I think sometimes we shout amen way too early anyway. Have you embraced the words for yourself? How about this? This is what he says to every one of his followers. John 13, he says this to every one of his followers. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people, the whole world will know, by this, by loving one another... The whole world will know that actually you belong to me. You're one of my disciples if, and that's a big if, he says, a huge if, a massive if, like capital I, capital F, but only if you have love one for another. So how, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Loving everybody? Everybody. Like, are we okay with that? Do we believe that? That's... Jesus's words, God spoke. Then John 15, 5. John 15, 5 says, I'm divine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me. I love this. This is so amazing. This is a game changer, a life changer. This is a victory verse. For, for apart from me, ye can do nothing. You can't love the way you're supposed to love. You can't learn the way you're supposed to learn. You can't live the way you're supposed to live. You can't do it without Jesus. Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time because of the greatest proclamation that's ever been heard. Jesus spoke. Number two, secondly, look at Hebrews chapter one. Let's read verses two and three together, church, as we move along. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
So, let's put those two creation statements together. He created the world, number one, and then he upholds the universe with the word of his power. Number two, here's my second thought. Jesus is the greatest of all time because of the greatest proclamation ever made, Jesus speaks. And number two, he's the greatest of all time because he has the greatest power in the universe, Jesus creates. Power. In fact, most of the songs we sang just a moment ago had the word power in it. Notice, first of all, though, there's an interesting statement, and it says this in that same text, kind of squished between those two creation statements. It says, he is appointed the heir of all things. Interesting, isn't it? Just kind of stuffed in there. Just a little statement. It doesn't necessarily uh, you know, have to do with creation, but it does say that he is the heir of all things, meaning this, question church, class, what belongs to Jesus Christ? And the answer is everything. Good answer. Everything belongs to Jesus. He is the heir of all things. Need a little proof? We'll go to Romans eleven thirty six for it. It says, for from him and through him and to him and are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's just get it settled right now. From him, through him, to him, all things. Everything belongs to Jesus. And then it says, through whom the world, or through whom he created the world. So, on the screen, Genesis 1-1. Keep it there until I get to that next verse. Nate, I'm going to read you a few verses. You ready? He created the world, right? Is that what it says? Let's figure this thing out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Holy Spirit of God, or the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit... That's next Sunday. Don't miss it. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, verse 3, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, mm, mm, mm. That's good. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And verse 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And God said, that was good. Verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed. Fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. Verse 11, and he said, let there be lights. And God said, that was good. In verse 20, God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves and which the waters swarm. And God said, that's good. And God said that the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And God saw that it was all good. Verse 26, then God said, let us, let us make man in our own image. Us, let us, us, singular or plural? Plural. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sovereign over all of this. The Holy Spirit of God seen in this passage moving over the face of the waters. But wait a minute. The message of the Bible is that Jesus Christ made the world. It's everywhere in Scripture. You can't miss it. It's found in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things. All things were created through him and for him. And then Hebrews says he upholds the universe. 
that just went over our heads. Right? Anybody get that one? He, he summed up the universe by just simply saying about Jesus and his power that he upholds the universe. Let's try to put that in perspective. Okay. I'm going to let a guy named Louis Giglio do it for a few minutes. Louis Giglio is a Southern Baptist preacher, evangelist, pastor. I'm just going to hand it to Louis. Louis, tell me a little bit about the universe that my Jesus upholds with his power. Take a look. We are here tonight to worship a huge, massive God of grace and glory. The story opens like this. In case you forgot, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And that was a phenomenal moment when that happened. Because light came out of the mouth of God, traveling 186,000 miles a second. There's an image of it for you, by the way. It's a little more fierce than we often think. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface. But what I want you to see about it is how big it is. It's 93 million miles away, so when you're looking up in the sky, it's pretty good pace out there. By the way, light traveling 186,000 miles a second, it's only taken eight minutes to cover that 93 million mile journey to touch your skin here in Atlanta, Georgia. But what I want you to see is the size of it. It's like a million times the size of the earth, and that matters to us tonight when you hear what the psalmist said. Listen to his words. By the word of the Lord, this is Psalm 33, the heavens were made. In other words, God didn't lift a finger when he made the universe. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. But he goes on to say, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So we're looking at something so intense that we don't want to get any closer than 93 million miles away, which is what we are right now. And then we read that God just breathes out stars. It's crazy to think about it. A million times the size of the earth. So here's a little perspective that sort of changed my life. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay, that didn't seem to move anybody either. So let me try it a different way. Let me just try it just a different way. I thought I might need this, so I brought a golf ball, okay? So all through the evening, this is going to represent Earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you've found yourself, I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the Earth, okay? You're nodding your head? Okay, you found yourself. If the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair and maybe give them 15 feet in diameter? So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the Earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big, you could put... 960,000 Earths inside the sun. So if the Earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15-foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number, to fill a school bus with golf balls could fit inside 
the 15-foot diameter sun, it's a massive star, and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. I love science, and science has just brought us the largest star they found. It's called, are you ready for this, Canis Majoris. Now, I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh, wow. If the earth were a golf ball, (laughs) Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet. And I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. That's enough Earths if the Earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls, 22 inches deep. Do you see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets and sort of how we fit in to the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system, but as Earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living at one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. But Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter, and you're like, okay, we're not all that big, even in our own little cul-de-sac. I just noticed the blue dot fading away is not the Earth. That's Neptune. The Earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by. Little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention. Arcturus. Such a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up. Our third star, Musifi. Musifi's cousin, W. Sifi. And do you know that you couldn't come up here right now with a Sharpie and make a mark on the screen that would approximate the size of our sun? You couldn't even do it. 
mean, when you look at these and their relative size, we just have to put a little arrow over there that says, if you could put the sun on here, which you can't, it would go somewhere about here. And um, can you hang on that for me? And when you see this, I don't know what happens to you, but I'll tell you what happens to me. A shrinking feeling comes over me, and it's not a bad shrinking feeling. It's a good shrinking feeling. Because sin, it has a, a way of shrinking God down in our minds and puffing us up in our own estimation. But just a glance into the universe that God has made resizes everything in a heartbeat. And you realize tonight we are worshiping an unrivaled, uncontested God of all kind of might and power and glory in all who is, there's none like him anywhere in all of creation tonight. I don't even know what to say, you know. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. The greatest of all time. The word should be forbidden to anyone or anything else other than Jesus Christ. His power. Politicians are not great. Honestly, I'm super tired of make America great again. I'm tired of it. Nations are not great. Countries are not great. Athletes are not great. Movie stars are not great. Church, Jesus Christ is great. He's great. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. The greatest proclamation he speaks the greatest power he creates. And then thirdly, the greatest person. Jesus represents God the Father. Look at this. This is amazing. Do you see in verse 3 this amazing statement? It says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Church, that, that statement is not just like a little cliche. Read it. Pass on. Let's get to something better. No, 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 no. no. Don't miss this. He's the radiance, Jesus is the radiance of the glory. He is the greatest person. As wet is to water, as heat is to fire, as light is to bulb, glory is to God. And glory is what comes from God's presence. And Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. A parallel statement would be, look at your text. It says he is the imprint, exact imprint. Don't miss that word. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. In other words, that word imprint, maybe let's focus in on that. Because the word imprint is easy to define. It's this. It's an impression made by a seal or stamp. Tool and die. You know, tool and die company makes these stamps, right? And they are so precise. It's an exact imprint. Jesus Christ is the perfect representation of God the Father. He is the precise, personal, perfect representation of God. If you have questions about God, ask Jesus. Ask Jesus. You say, how do I ask Jesus? Wonderful words of life. Go to the book. 
every single question you have about God. I don't understand. I don't get it, God. What is that? Why is that? Jesus says, read my word. I've got the answer to every single question you've got. The greatest proclamation God speaks. The greatest power God creates. The greatest person he represents God. And finally, let's close with this. The greatest provision Jesus saves. He saves. We sang a moment ago, oh, praise the one who Paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. You know what that was? Salvation. We were praising the one who saves. He saves. He he really does save. And the question this morning is, are you saved? And does, does Jesus, has Jesus impacted your life? Has he put an imprint on your life? I want to read you something I... It was written almost 100 years ago. I don't think I've ever read it in a sermon, although I've had it in my file. And I love it. I've just never used it. And for some reason, I feel like it helps us understand why Jesus is the greatest of all time. It's entitled, One Solitary Life. And it goes like this. Here's a man who was born in an obscure village. The child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was itinerant preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book, never held an office, never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them actually denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave because of the pity of a friend. 20 long centuries have come and gone. And today, he is the centerpiece of the human race and leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. Jesus. Jesus. I want to say this to all of you. He's the reason why we're here. He's the reason. The surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ is why I preach. It's why we sing. It's why we gather. It's why we go to small group. It's what we have in common. We disagree on this and this and this, but we agree that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died to save the world, and he's the Savior. We sung it a moment ago. One name is higher. One name is greater. He's reigning now as what? Savior of the world. No wonder our hands are lifted in praise. 
No wonder as the crescendo raises on what a beautiful name he is, what a wonderful name he is, what a powerful name he is, we can hardly contain ourselves, can't we? Or maybe should I say should we? He's the greatest. He's the greatest of all time. My challenge to you this morning is this. That while you're here on planet earth, Jesus was here just 33 years and I beat that by 20. While I'm here on planet earth for Jesus Christ, I'm thinking, I don't know that I have another day. But if I do, actually, I don't know if I have another minute. But if I do, the truth of the matter is, if I have another breath, I want to breathe it for Jesus. I've come a long way. You know, it's amazing. I, I say this for all of us. I just remember the day when it wasn't all about Jesus. I remember the day when it was all about so many other things in my life. I remember the day when sin puffed me up and made God smaller in my life. And as I've stayed with it and stayed in the book and let God refine me through his fire, I find myself coming to a place in ministry that if I have, if I have any time left, all I want to do is just preach Jesus. I don't want to argue anymore. I don't want to sit across the table and waste a bunch of money talking about something that is just some, some doctrine that's got us off of Jesus, some, some theology that, that's running in both directions as hard as they can against each other, and we're frustrated, and we're angry, and we're mad, and Jesus all the time says, hey guys, I'd, I'd like a little attention in the church. I'm what it's all about. I'm reigning as Savior of the world, not your petty arguments. So if I get another breath, I want to just display God's greatness as our worship team comes. I want to close with this. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the greatness of our God. He's just never overwhelmed you and over, overcome you to the place where you would say, I don't know that I'm a Christian. I don't know that I've ever received Christ as my Savior. I want to say this to you. Here's what the Bible says. It's on the screen. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. That's it. Now, if you've never done that, you can do that today. If you've never made that decision, today you can step out in these aisles all across this auditorium. You're welcome to come to the front. You're welcome to wait after church and catch me in the lobby. You're welcome to catch one of our staff or deacons or elders or somebody you recognize, small group leader. And you're welcome to, to come up to us and just say, have you got a minute? Can I spend some time? Can we get together this week? Listen, you can, you can pray in your seat and trust Christ as your Savior. If you feel the Holy Spirit of God wooing you to Christ this morning, you can make that decision right now. That's all you got to do right there. That's it. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. You will be saved. So I challenge you to do that this morning. It's all about Jesus and His greatness. It's all about God and His holiness. Next week, I can't wait to tell you about the Holy Spirit. He's the one that everybody kind of likes to disagree on. Bless his heart. He's got so much controversy surrounding him. Everybody's got an opinion about the Holy Spirit. I want to help you with that next week. We're going to talk. We're going to finish this Godhead and put it together. And just remember this. Right now, he's upholding the universe with his power. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Every head bent, every eye closed. Father, I love you.
I thank you again for this opportunity to share your word. I pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit this morning to where we would respond to this great, great invitation, the cornerstone. May we understand, God, that you are, Lord, the foundation of every belief we have. May we never get away from the truth of the greatness of our God. So bless this invitation. Speak to hearts. Move us, God. May we never be the same. And if there's anyone here that does not know you personally, may today be the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?